A lot of you have been asking me for insomnia treatment options, so I want to let you know I have launched an insomnia treatment course. It's a very structured and effective treatment program with a lot of clinical evidence support. So one course is in Chinese and one is in English. You can find it at deepintosleep.co/insomnia. Imagine this: you are sleeping and you are dreaming. Somehow you're not sure whether you are awake or you are asleep, but you think you are seeing things. You are trying to get up, but you cannot move your body at all. And what's the worst is whatever the thing you think you are seeing, if they start attacking you and you are not able to move, what can you do? So today. We have our guest Lee share his experience of sleep paralysis, his frequent nightmares, and the things he been seeing, he been experiencing. I would have to admit, when I interviewed him, I had goosebumps on my body. I was like, "Whoa, this is so bizarre and so scary, and that sounds so real." Also, so what's that exactly? Let's find out more. Welcome to Deep Into Sleep. I'm your host Ishan. Today we have Lee Adams. He is a PhD candidate in psychology major, and he has been practicing and researching lucid dreaming topics for over twenty years. He also have online community for lucid dreamers and psychologists. He also is a host of a podcast about lucid dreaming called Cosmic Echo. He can share with us some fascinating personal experience of lucid dreaming, nightmare, and sleep paralysis. Welcome, Lee. Welcome to Deep Into Sleep. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Glad we finally got together. <laughs> I know. So excited to have you because you have something very unique to share with our audience today. Something called sleep paralysis. What is it? So it's very complicated. First of all, a lot of people associate sleep paralysis to a couple of things. So, like、um, waking up and feeling that you can't move is really kind of the definition of sleep paralysis. So some people will wake up and they feel like something's heavy on their body, or they can't speak or yell out, and then they have fear usually is associated with that. So that's one aspect of sleep paralysis and. Typically, like a person that is having and experiencing sleep paralysis, they're also experiencing what is called hypnagogia, and that means that they also have visual hallucinations or auditory hallucinations that are associated with the experience. So they may see something、um, in the room, or they can actually feel sensations on their skin, or hear、uh, strange and bizarre noises, and all those can be associated with hypnagogia. So people kind of group it together into one thing, but really they're kind of two different things. But oftentimes when people talk about sleep paralysis, they're kind of mentioning both things. Wow, that's very unique and interesting. Actually, personally, I think I experienced that possibly once or twice when I was younger.、Uh, they were bizarre enough for me to still remember that.、Hmm. But if they have a professional name, I know are they like a more severe or frequent? A symptom for for some population. 
in America, I know the statistics American is that it's considered around about 20% or so actually experience sleep paralysis at one time in their life. They may not fully realize what's happening to them and then they forget about it or they never talk about it. And, you know, people just kind of forget things. So they may have had the experience and just it washed away. Right. But, um, it's kind of typical for Americans is about 20% or so, but in other cultures and stuff, they actually have more uh, higher cases of it. So like in Japan, they released peer reviewed uh, articles talking about somewhere up in, I think it was like 40 to 50% of Japanese wow. actually experience it one time in their life or another. And in some cultures, um, they actually have kind of a mythology associated to sleep paralysis where the old hag syndrome comes up. So if you read on Google or some other sites, you can read about old hag syndrome. And that actually comes from, um, I think, Newfoundland. It's been a while since I've really like gotten deep into this stuff. But um, so there's a, an author, uh, he wrote the terrors that go in the night or come in the night. And he actually was a researcher doing research on mythology. And he went to, again, I think it's Newfoundland and he was researching that, like that case, like the, um, the myth behind that. And he found out that people believed that they could curse other people with hagging, they called it, um, because of an older lady that would show up and attack their victims. And essentially he found out it was, they were describing sleep paralysis. So they would curse someone and then they would actually have like some type of uh, sleep paralysis experience. And then, you know, so on. So it's broad and there's lots of different culture uh, associated with it. And I know, you know, it's common in uh, Philippines, stuff like that. I've had a lot of people come to me and talk to me from the Philippines and Asian countries, especially talking about sleep paralysis and experiences around it. So yeah, it's definitely, uh, I grew up in China, so we, we do have a word for it, but it's not so scientific. Ah. We, we call that, I don't know how to translate, basically it's a ghost <laughs> on your bed ah, to okay. keep you down. That's why you cannot move. Ah. Uh, I think because we have such words so scary to just right. listen to, I think <laughs> a lot of people are aware when this happens, so we, we remember it. That's how yeah. I remember mine, one or two episodes. Okay. Yeah. It's interesting. The common themes that you hear throughout all cultures about being some type of pressure pushed down in order to cause this effect on you. And then, you know, the hallucination or the vision that you see of this, the ghost or whatever, that's actually physically attacking you and pushing you down, which is, you know, it's interesting. These patterns are throughout kind of all cultures, really. Right. And it's also interesting, you mentioned this data, which surprisingly high, I think, for, for some Asian countries, is like once in life, right? I also know sleep paralysis and hypnagogic uh, hallucination could be a common symptom for people are diagnosed with narcolepsy, this right. kind of sleep disorders. So for, for those population, I guess it's frequency is much higher, cause yeah. more disturbance in their life, right? There's not a lot of research that actually talks about why some cultures would have it more than others. You know, there's some theories out there why stress-related uh, situations, um, maybe the food, type of food being eaten, even geographical areas, places with high-density volcanic activity causing some type of like magnetic uh, field, you know, that influences people's sleep and their experiences of sleep. You know, all those things could be 
attributed to it in some form, but there's really no like definite answer to what really causes it. But definitely the aspect of having sleep disorders, sleep paralysis can be used in many cases as a sleep disorder. And you mentioned narcolepsy, cataplexy is essentially waking sleep paralysis where a person just falls down they lose all muscle control and they're actually in sleep paralysis, but they're awake and aware, which is the same thing. And they can also experience waking hallucinations, why they're in cataplexy, why they're having that. So a lot of people that actually have sleep paralysis should talk to a sleep specialist and figure out what's going on with their sleep because it's really related to the sleep cycles being interrupted and that's a tie to it, but it's it's very complex. You know, like if you get it diagnosed that you have a sleep disorder, then that's one thing. But also, the cases of how sleep paralysis kind of come about to some people seems kind of random almost, and not really clearly related to the person's or a group of people's ability to have good sleep. And there's a couple examples that I can share with you if you'd like about um, those cases. Definitely. A friend of mine, a good friend of mine, was talking about a case where he had a sheriff of a someplace in America. I'm not exactly sure where, but he got an email from the sheriff, and the sheriff was talking about a case where in his community, every year at a certain time, people think that somebody has broken into their house, and they also experience sleep paralysis. So they'll wake up, and they'll they'll freak out, and they'll call the, the cops to come because they think somebody actually physically broke into their house. And so they, they go investigate it and nobody's there. Well, a lot of people start doing that. So they take notice every year that that time of the year is coming again and they make sure that all the cops are briefed so that when people start calling in, you know, they know that they should go investigate, but they also should be aware that sometimes this community has that problem. Another case was actually, I was I was in the Navy before and I was on a ship and I was listening to a couple of the people I worked with and they were talking about essentially having shared sleep paralysis in uh, one of their birthing, which is a place where they sleep. So one person was experiencing sleep paralysis. They were trying to yell and it actually caused another person somehow to also have sleep paralysis at the exact same time. Almost like they fed off of each other in a way, you know, like the experience and the brain somehow activated and caused sleep paralysis together. And, you know, that, that's the only time I've actually heard of like a contagious experience of sleep paralysis between two people, but it is very interesting, you know. It is. Wow. That's that's really cool. Um, hmm. <laughs> I never know this kind of uh, brainwave or somehow like uh, never heard about sleep related uh, symptoms could be contagious or impact right. each other like that. And also for that tongue you mentioned, I'm wondering, did they find out like what around that certain time this call increased, like what's behind it? No, they, I mean... Uh, unfortunately, my friend wasn't able to further investigate for the, the sheriff. He was just too busy with this other work. So he really never got around to it. But it always made me, you know, wonder why every year at the same time, you know, that this does this happen. And it's not just one person, you know, it's a whole community of people. 
it would be great to get more data, you know, and to talk to those people, investigate and figure out what's actually happening to them. But it's uh, interesting. And, and also in that book that I mentioned, um, The Terrors That Come in the Night, the researcher also talked about people in the same location, they were sleeping in the same house, they had sleep paralysis. And he was in a, and also Hypnogagia together. And they eventually moved out of the house because it was like disrupting their life so much and terrorizing them, you know? So they just, they finally left and then it went away, but he investigated and he tried to do it in the most scientific way he possibly could. Cause he was trying to do his research on it and he really didn't have a conclusion. And I read his book in the hopes that I would get some type of conclusion and be like, okay, it's, you know, I can explain this away kind of as just, you know, erroneous information in the mind and kind of just give up on it, you know, but he, he never really gave a, a good answer to it. And he's still today, like I, I've read, watched more videos of him and he still doesn't have a good conclusion. So it's kind of a little upsetting in, in you know, that way you're like, oh, well, hmm, okay. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Like we possibly cannot find any science behind it. I am sure there are people still thinking about other ways of explaining it. Right. Do they get better after they move out of the house? Is that about a house or about one person in the in the house impact everyone like the other story you shared? Or it's like around that time is stress or something else? I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Or is that just ghost in that house? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of bizarre. You know, it's a, it's a great mystery of life. Really. I think it's one of the greatest mysteries is having these uh, strange experiences, you know, and um, not really being able to fully understand um, what yeah. they are. Right. Right. So many things we don't know. That's, that's the beauty of life. I yeah. feel like. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm curious, what got you into this field to learn more, study more, get to know more about uh, sleep paralysis? So, I mean, I, I've experienced sleep paralysis quite a few times, probably right now I experience it maybe once a, once a month about wow. that amount. When I was a child, I, I never had ex- sleep paralysis. I never had that experience. I didn't know what it was but I did have lucid dreams so I'd wake up in a dream and realize that I was dreaming and then be able to control my dream or do some action in it or observe my dream in a different way than a normal dream so I was aware in a dream that's typically what you call lucid dreaming and then I was in you know years later it was about 26 and I was in the, the navy and I was a sleep in my room and I slept during the daytime because I worked night shift. So my, my sleep schedule was already messed up. So my sleep hygiene was really, you know, a disaster at that point. Um, especially I had roommates and they would always wake me up and bother me and stuff. So it wasn't uncommon for them just to decide to wake me up anytime and me not really get a good period of time asleep. So, um, so one day I was laying there and my friend, I thought, had jumped on my back while I was asleep in my bed. So I was laying down on my chest and he pushed me into the bed. And I was like, whoa, you know, like I, I woke up. It startled me. And I tried to get up out of my bed, you know, to push him off of me. And I couldn't. He was like very strong. And I remember saying like, dude, get off of me. You know, like I was upset. And I said other strong words, but, you know, <laughs> and it pushed harder down into me. And I was like, whoa, you know, I was like, dude, get off of me. And I was really upset. 
And I was like, I'm going to hit you if you don't get off me. And then I remember it felt like the head of my friend got next to my ear, my right ear, and started breathing into my ear. And that just really pissed me off, you know, like to have somebody just dominating you and then started breathing right into your ear. just like, oh, it's the most irritating thing ever. So I was like, okay, that's it. And I went to swing to hit him. And when I did that, there was nobody in my room. And I was like, whoa, like what's going on? You know, like maybe my friend ran to, um, you know, my bathroom or something, you know, like, so I got up out of my bed and walked around and looked around and couldn't find them. You know, there was no one home. Actually, my whole entire house was completely cleared out of everyone. So I was like, okay. So I got a little, you know, anxious from that. It was pretty scary to have that kind of thing you start your mind starts wandering you're like whoa what was that what's this experience felt very real Mm -hmm. so a couple weeks went by and and i'm laying in bed and i hear people downstairs talking and they're having a conversation i can hear them talking so i i assume that i was just kind of awake you know and i noticed one of the people that were was talking wasn't actually there anymore they were in a different country because they were in the military too. So they were deployed. As I thought of that, I remember the image in my mind of a blue orb floating up my stairs into my room. And I couldn't move either, but I kind of just blacked out. Like the dream kind of ended there and I don't, I have no memory recall what happened after that. So then that freaked me out again. And I started sleeping on the couch in a different room downstairs and and I was really worried you know I wasn't getting good enough sleep anymore these experiences kind of startled me then I finally went back to my room because I didn't have any more experiences of it and this time uh, I'm laying in my bed and I'm laying on my back this time and I look over and I see my door open slightly open and I was like what is that and I can't move again then a shadow like figure kind of looked like the Green Reaper, came through my door and physically came over to me and grabbed me and then pushed me against the wall and started beating me up. And yeah, a physical attack. And I was like, you know, I I thought it was real. It feels absolutely 100% real. And then I woke up and I was in my bed and I was like, okay, like this is bizarre. You know, like what is happening to me? So I went online and I read about um, some weird websites on lucid dreaming and they talked about what they described as a thing called the dweller in the threshold or the guardian and threshold. Essentially, they told me that I just needed to kind of stand up to this thing, whatever it is, whatever the fear image is, I just need to stand up to it. And I was like, okay, you know, like I'm willing to try anything at this point. A couple of days go by, I'm laying in my bed just like normal. And sure enough, the same figure comes into my room and I stood up and I physically went after it, you know, instead of allowing it to attack me. And oddly enough, I ate it. Like, I don't know why, but I grabbed it and ate it and then it was gone. And ever since then, I've never had that same experience happen to me. I've had sleep paralysis since then, but in that house, it, it went away for one thing. And then I move a lot in the military. So when I was in the military, I move and oftentimes I would experience sleep paralysis and see different things depending on the location that I went to. So that was really bizarre to me. 
And I wanted to, you know, research this and understand it better. So I went to my undergrad I, I did in psychology because I really wanted to understand how the mind works and all these different aspects of what makes a human a human, which is really complex and especially focus on sleep. And unfortunately, there's not a lot of people that actually pay attention to sleep. So I kind of had to find my own resources and things like that. And met some good friends that know about sleep and know about sleep paralysis specifically and kind of talk to them about it and stuff and really kind of just explore that topic myself and able to kind of learn about how to deal with sleep paralysis versus just kind of react to it, you know, being instead of being reactatory, be like engaged with it and understand the process a little bit better and became very healing after a while, actually. So Wow, at least the, the story you shared, that, that's amazing. I feel like goosebumps <laughs> <laughs> yeah. about it. But I really like how you stood up to it. That reminds me of this famous technique, evidence-based treatment called imagery, imagery rehearsal therapy for mm. treating nightmares. And even for people with PTSD, with trauma history, they can still use this method just to targeting any type of bad dreams or nightmares to change the bad negative image to empower themselves kind of like similar to what you mentioned stand up for for yourself change the story and then experience different things in the dream yeah definitely um dreams have been incredibly healing for me and transformative because and especially my knowledge of lucid experiences lucid dream experiences and being able to kind of identify you know the, the dream itself and kind of work with it versus like it being kind of put on to me and me just being the person in the dream experiencing things and having no understanding of it, you know, they kind of translate very well into waking life, you know, like there's a lot of things in waking life that are out of our control. But if you start understanding these systems and you start understanding your emotional response to it, then you can prepare yourself versus being just reactive. So like in a dream experience, it's a very good practice way so you know you have this intense terrifying experience which sleep paralysis you know um neurologically is some of the most terrifying experiences you can have as a human because your amygdala during the time of paralysis is hyperactivated and to the point you know it's like taking a needle and sticking it straight into your amygdala which is the center of fear and you're super activated so you're absolutely terrified and that's normal it's almost an uncontrollable experience you know if you're able to kind of use that and kind of work with it then you don't react to fear the same way as you did before not only in the dream but also in waking life so they kind of play off of each other and i think that's the idea is using the dream experiences and the images and dreams to kind of work with you know nightmares and stuff like that to overcome those fears and waking reality too, because it's a safe place really to kind of work through these processes. You know, it's a lot like imagining something and working through it in your mind in like a meditative state or something like that too. Wow. That's amazing. Do you mean you work on that? You, you use it as a healing process when you are awake, then when you, when you have this lucid dreaming, it, it feels more healing or you have a way to work uh, with it in the dream. Both, I'd say. To me, dreams are kind of one of the same as waking reality, so they're they're very tied together. 
it's your imagination. So your imagination is active when you're awake too, just as active. And so if you learn to work with that and how your imagination works, you know, off of emotions, things like that, then you can modify it in such a way that you don't imagine the most terrifying experiences. Instead, you think you imagine the most positive experiences, you know, instead of you have the option. So you can either imagine terror or you can imagine positivity and love maybe you can choose and so working with the dream experiences through those fear experiences you can actually kind of start building up like a callus in a way you know towards fear and emotion those emotions and you can start seeing them kind of for what they are which is you know imagination it's part of your imagination it's not to say that um it's easy I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying it's incredibly hard for people to do that. It was incredibly hard for me to stand up to that thing and actually kind of attack it versus like it attacked me. And I wouldn't say that that is like the most healing way of dealing with sleep paralysis either. There's other ways and other dream experiences I've had with sleep paralysis and hypnagogia that has allowed me to um, work with it in a different way, which is more of an accepting experience versus like an um, aggressive either it being aggressive towards me or me being aggressive towards it it's more of like allowing it to flow through you in a way allowing it to happen and not really reacting to it it's a challenging thing because you know sometimes in sleep paralysis you can have very abusive experiences people have experienced sometimes rape even in their or sleep paralysis. That's pretty common, actually, to have that kind of experience. That's very traumatic to a lot of people, especially if they experienced it in real life, you know. So they may be reliving that stuff in their their dream. And the most healing way is to, you know, for me anyways, is to not react to those things. So allow, <laughs> it's odd, but allow the experience to happen and just you're not reacting to it anymore. You're not, you're not feeling that emotion anymore and it, it goes away. So a lot of times, you know, more that people work with sleep paralysis, they'll feel the paralysis actually start happening to their body. You can physically start feeling and sensing that pressure build up in your body. And it feels like an electrical tingling and, and pressure and very uncomfortable feeling. But if you allow it to just kind of happen, you know, build up and you just, you don't push against it, try to not resist it, it'll eventually wash over you. Then you'll, you'll be in a dream. So it's uh, a lot of people experience lucid dreams because the next stage after sleep paralysis is being aware in a dream because you're already actually awake and you're dreaming, but you're, you're experiencing a natural phenomenon that's just the paralysis. So if you allow it just to kind of happen, then, you know, it goes away. And that's kind of one of the best techniques, really, for people that have sleep paralysis. Commonly, you know, I tell people and there's books on it and there's articles and and most of them that are very successful is talking about allowing the experience just to take place, not react to it and just let it go. And eventually, you know, it will take its action and then you'll you'll be complete with it. It happens very quickly. So I think an important thing would be say that sleep paralysis without the experience, it's not normal to experience sleep paralysis. Like that's a clear sign that you you may have some type of sleep disorder of some kind, but paralysis while sleeping is a totally normal thing. 
that's what happens to your brain is it puts you asleep so you don't act out your dreams. And most people kind of forget that, you know. So you're experiencing a very normal, um, natural phenomenon that happens every single time that you go to sleep and you start dreaming. But you're experiencing while you're aware, which is not normal. So if you allow the body to kind of do what it's supposed to do, then the paralysis will eventually take effect and you'll disassociate, you'll lose consciousness in a way of your physical body and then you'll be in a dream. I really like what you mentioned, the power of letting it be, letting it go, kind of like similar to what we see in psychotherapy for anxiety and other things is if we pay too much attention to it, if we feed it with a lot of fear, worries, it actually gets this nutrition, it grows. Yeah. But if we just learn how to coexist it and let it just be there, we don't pay attention to it that much. We think, well, it's normal, it's there. It's a little bit disturbing or it's possibly very uncomfortable, but let it just be there. I don't feed it when any nutrition. I experience my body, I do other things, and it actually cannot grow and eventually it gets smaller. I mean, to describe it as best as I can, it's like a building up, like a just a buildup of energy in your body that you feel. You feel this buildup that just takes place. And the more that you push against it, the more violent that buildup gets. So you have, it's like two rivers pushing against each other. And the more that they push against, the more turbulence, you know, the more r- waves that you have. And so if you finally just release that your river, you know, your control mechanism, you release it, then the river can flow through you and you no longer have the turbulence that you're actually experiencing. But the uncomfortable feeling that comes from sleep paralysis is actually pushing against it to create that turbulence. Otherwise, it's just it's just flowing through you. So there's no problem, you know. Hmm. And that's what normally happens for people when they go to sleep is they they have no awareness. So they have no they don't have the two rivers pushing against each other. They just have the one that, and it's fine. There's no remembering of it or anything. So the sleep disorder is actually you trying your best to stay awake when you're trying also to go to sleep. So it's two forces pushing against each other and one's going to win, you know, and it's oddly enough, it's going to be the, the paralysis that is going to win most of the time. So Either you're going to wake up and not have a good time or you're going to let it go through you and things will be fine. Yeah, it feels like anything about dream, about sleep, overall, too much control actually can get in the way and make things worse. The more we want to control something, it's just less likely to go smoothly and easy. Yeah, absolutely. And I know nightmare or dreams definitely can get their own life if we keep on pushing it it just eventually become its own thing i mean they're all tied together interesting enough the history of nightmare if you look up the image of a nightmare it's usually associated with sleep paralysis too so even a true nightmare is is actually sleep paralysis you know like a bad dream i think it's very closely associated with sleep paralysis too it's just you don't remember it, you know, like you, you remember the, the dream aspect of that turbulence, 
and that creates the uncomfortable dream that you had that your brain takes it and turns it into some type of you know dream experience and that's what you get as this scary dream but really it, it's all associated i think with these two kind of rivers pushing against each other creating the the experience Wow, that's really amazing. All this technique and methods and acceptance attitude that you talk about. I know you have a new book coming out. What was your book about? Um, so working title right now is A Visionary Guide to Lucid Dreaming. So it's about lucid dreaming. I, I've read a lot of books on sleep paralysis, lucid dreaming, and kind of the mechanisms of how to do it, the science behind it, things like that. And a lot of books are good. And a lot of books are bad. And some books are good, but they also have a lot of bad in them. So what I tried to do is take the best things of a lot of different pieces of work and my experiences and put it into one thing where somebody can read it and they can understand like the sleep paralysis experience, how it works with lucid dreaming, how to use it to actually lucid dream, and how to work with their dreams too. So a good portion of the book is talking about my dream experiences and how I use those dream experiences to actually better my life and transform it in different ways, especially like working with fear and having acceptance for my body and the different aspects of my body and the dream characters, the different types of dream characters that I experienced and what they kind of dream guides, you know, and things like that, where, you know, a lot of people have big dreams where somebody in the dream will tell them something or they'll experience some type of very transformative process that takes place. So I explore those as much detail as I can and what, how those things changed me and how some of the nightmares that I've had, you know, how I've worked with those to try to understand very physical and biological problems that I may have had later on in life. And I could share uh, one of those stories with you. It's very recent, actually, and very life-changing in many ways. So I had a dream where it's not a uh, nightmare. I, I wouldn't say it wasn't sleep paralysis, but it was a it was a lucid dream. And in the dream, a guide took me to, I would call it the, like a land of the dead, right? And I didn't know what was happening really. And there was like the veil, like a field, like a force field almost. And I get pulled through that. And there's all these people like standing around and, and it looks like a tunnel. And I turned around and my guide was gone. And I was like, oh, I started getting that creepy feeling, you know, like, ooh, something's not right here. And those people, they started grabbing onto me. And I was like, whoa, like, it didn't feel good. So I tried my hardest to get away, you know. And as I was trying to get away from them, I could feel this pull, like an energy pull, my essence getting sucked out of my body. And I was like, whoa, what is going on? And I got really scared and I just got out of there as quick as I could. And I woke up, you know, immediately. And I was like, what was that? You know, like, this is different. And I felt very drained that day. And so I slept. And then the next day I felt very drained too. And I was like, whoa, what's going on? And that lasted for quite a while. And, and then I started getting better. And then after a while, I started having all these problems. And I was like, what's going on? And then I started having dreams where people and things were breaking into my house, you know, like I'd be in my house and zombies would be breaking in trying to like kill me. And I'm like, what, you know, get out and, or aliens breaking into a submarine, you know, like in the ocean and they're breaking in and trying to destroy the submarine. I'm like, okay, 
or and bees trying to break into the house and sting me and all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, there's a common theme here, you know, with house and things breaking in and trying to hurt me, like zombies, you know, like what is a zombie? A zombie is a lifeless being that sucks energy out of you, you know, it's a par it's parasitic. And I started paying attention to all these themes, especially that first dream, you know, that these things sucking energy out of me. So I, I went to the doctor and I didn't tell them about my dreams. Maybe, you know, they may have not understood, but I was like, there is something going on where I'm tired all the time, you know, and I felt like things were getting, my energy is getting sucked out. And so I started thinking about all the different things that kind of do that. And one thing came up was like a parasite, you know? Hmm. So I had them test me for, if I had any type of parasite or anything like that. And surely enough, I had one. So they gave me, you know, medication and I, I took supplements and things like that to try to kill off this thing. And, you know, it took a long, long time because I was so severely hurt from this parasite that it, my body was trying to warn me about these things. And so I uh, eventually started to heal, you know, and it it really changed my look towards dream experiences in a very physical and real sense you know like usually we like to look at the dreams as a psychological thing you're like okay you know like you're you're having some stress in your life you know or life change is happening you know you're you're stressed about your family or whatever and we're like okay it's all head based you know but then taking a broader picture especially in that dream it's like oh these are very physical things they're not just mental you know like these are your stomach, you know, your stomach is, I think, a big portion of your dream experience. It communicates to you um, through neurons, you know, it's it's very intelligent part of your body. And so, and it's also directly linked to poor sleep habits and narcolepsy too, have problems with their gut, their stomach. So, you know, paying attention to that in the relationship that you have with like different biological things happening like parasitic stuff or bacteria infections, things like that in your stomach, you're, I believe fully now because of I've had it happen to me. And this is cross-cultural too. If they're like indigenous cultures really pay attention to their stomach and their dreams and they associate that together. So uh, using those together, you can really start seeing that like dreams can communicate very physical things happening to you as well. Yeah. I love that angle. Personally, I never really think about that way, but that totally makes sense that sleep paralysis or nightmares or lucid dreaming, they may not necessarily be a bad thing. Sometimes it could be our body is trying to warn us or communicate with us. The, the body and the brain are trying to send signals to each other to help us survival better. Today, I mean... In my life, I would not say that I any dream that I've ever had is a bad dream because they all teach you something, even the most terrifying dreams. I mean, even maybe last week I had one that was startling, you know, that shook me to my core and was like, whoa, what was that? You know, like that was not something that I would like to repeat. But in paying attention to the symbols and the imagery, that that dream was built on for one it's very memorable so it, it very ingrained itself into my mind because of the fear associated with it but also the symbols and the imagery that is associated with that 
story and that theme and what it was trying to convey to me is also really on the surface of my my mind you know it's it's very clear to me that it's important so sometimes you know like we think of fear in dream and 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 also in waking life as being a negative thing like you're saying but when you take a step back and you think about negative things those are the things we remember the most so it really prepares us for the next time or a lesson and dreams are so internal you know they're so personal to a person that they're conveying a very specific message to you about a process that's taking place or something you need to pay attention to or physical thing that's happening to you so if you pay attention to that and the most fearful dreams are the ones that you probably should pay attention to the most. So, and most happy ones too, you know, like the, the mundane in-between ones, they don't really get remembered so much, you know? Right, right. That, that's definitely, I, I know the, the research on this are so limited, but I definitely read research about uh, during our dream, our REM period, actually our brain is consolidate emotional memories a lot of time, try to make sense of what happened in our life before and try to make sense of those emotional reactions generated from certain life experience to help us make sense of it, come up with better plans and avoid any like potential mistakes and or certain people have accidents, our brain will work on that through dreams and then later help us to improve our survival rate if similar things happen again. Yeah. I mean, I think it's important to also recognize that sometimes you don't need to actually understand every part of the dream to have the dream be doing what it's supposed to be doing. So you don't always have to understand, say, sleep paralysis and the the experiences that you're having during that, just the action of actually having the experience it and doing whatever you did in the dream is sometimes enough to do what it's supposed to be doing. You don't have to interpret every dream and understand the symbology of every dream and the message in the dream to actually be doing what the dream's supposed to be doing. I think of it as like a computer program running in the background and it's doing its thing. It's processing its data. And when you wake up, you're like, okay, I'm good, you know? But then for instance, my parasitic type dream, you know, is obviously that I needed to take some type of action because my body was trying to warn me of, and I could see that in the repeating themes throughout the dream, you know, so maybe it's really important to pay attention to like repeating dreams that constantly happen over and over again. There's maybe something in there that you're maybe not getting, you know. Right. So more about the theme, the repeated pattern, not every single detail. It's another layer of acceptance and go with the flow. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people try to use like universal dream interpretation guides and things like that to actually understand what dreams say. And I would say that most of those guides are not really worth the money that people <laughs> You know, or um, online websites to talk about, oh, this means that and this means this, you know, sometimes they may have some themes in there that may bring out something that you you could use. But for the most part, you know, a lot of self-reflection is the, the main key into being able to understand what that means to you. A lot of us aren't really trained to pay attention to our dreams either. 
in today's society. So we kind of, uh, I, I remember talking to a psychologist about my dreams actually uh, when I was in the Navy because my dreams went away. And to me, that's a pattern that's very unsettling because I've dreamed all the time. And I remember my dreams, you know, most nights I remember my dreams, but for, you know, a good year, I couldn't even remember a dream. So I went to the psychologist and I was like, Hey, I, I can't remember my dreams. You know, like something's not right. And she said, uh, she's like, Oh, that's just what happens when you get older. And I was like, I was like, um, no, I'm like, so I, I immediately stopped talking to her. I was like, this is not the person for me because I know that's a lie. You know, I've seen the research. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, older people actually can dream more, you know, they just, a lot of times they don't talk about it because uh, a lot of their dreams are associated with fear and stuff like that too. And so, you know, it can be uh, upsetting to talk about. And, and a lot of people don't care to talk about dreams in the first place. It's not really part of American culture anyways. And uh, Western culture is not really to discuss dreams to that extent. Yeah, it's very interesting. I remember when I first had my this podcast, Deep Into Sleep, I think episode zero or one, when I tried to introduce why I'm interested in sleep, I mentioned my personal experience about dreaming. My culture, Asian culture, I think we we do pay more attention to dreams. And like you said, try to explain that in a way. I Still up to today, when I have a weird dream, I will go to this famous Chinese book, uh, they are free on website now. Like there's an ancient Chinese book uh, about interpreting your dream, but in a very superstitious way. For example, if you dream about falling down from high, that means you're going to meet someone in real life, going to give you a hard time, basically, yeah. going to trick you, <laughs> things like that. So kind of like a prediction. But then I remember after I go into psychology, when I have dreams, I could not understand, but I do have the curiosity to try to make sense of it. I would not only check the Chinese book, I would also check what psychologists and Freudian would say. And it's are totally different. So not compatible with each other. And then I start realizing, oh, you know, sometimes I may not be able to have an answer and that's okay. But I do remember my dream. It may mean something or it may be a signal, but it's, it's just interesting. Now I'm more just to be aware of this. This happens sometimes. And especially recently, I don't know why it's whether because the stars, some astrology, you know, astrologists talking about every time when the stars are doing something in the sky, you may have more weird dreams and you, some people may be more aware of their dreams. Um, so it's very interesting, especially this year for a while, I noticed, I remember some of very bizarre, mm. outstanding dreams. <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of stress associates with poor sleep hygiene too. So um, True, true. Yeah, when you mentioned that when you were on the ship, I was thinking, yeah, if we sleep on a very unusual schedule or very against our like natural circadian rhythm, we possibly gonna have a lot of more um, dreams or some other things happen to our sleep. Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially nowadays with the coronavirus and things like that, people are stressed yeah. um, to a very high extent. So you know, there's tons of articles already out talking about these bizarre dreams that people are having, you know, and what they mean. And and food, you know, could be a huge contributor to that. Different types of food that people are eating if they're eating more and cooking themselves, you know, food instead of going out and eating 
less nutritious food maybe that can have a huge effect on um, people in my in my book i talk about supplements because a lot of people use different supplements to actually change their sleep patterns either for positive or negative you know depending on what you're trying to do and so it's very important to pay attention to that so if you're if you're having these experiences you know like not only the mental aspect of it but also the chemical and so supplements you know can assist you in actually having better sleep and causing you to actually not have nightmares so like magnesium is one that's really pretty consistent for me to help me get a deeper sleep and to not have cases of sleep paralysis as much um another one that is very not really popular and unknown is niacin it's a vitamin uh niacin if you take enough of it will release um this um it's a protein called pdg2 and it's a nice and flush that happens. So you, you get red and kind of itchy and rashy on your body and stuff. Um, that's the nice and flush and it's very uncomfortable, but the byproduct of that is amazing sleep. And some researchers in Japan actually did some studies on niacin and this protein that actually released and how it affects sleep. And so there's some actual articles, peer reviewed articles today that show how this protein actually affects sleep. And um, a lot of, researchers consider it the mechanism that actually puts the individual to sleep itself. So niacin's a good one if you're actually trying to get sleep quicker because in sleep paralysis, it's as if you're trying to go to sleep, but you're not going to sleep fast enough. You're actually experiencing the transition. So the niacin can put you to sleep quicker. So you actually don't experience uh, sleep paralysis. But there's little research that supports that claim. Um, I posted it on a blog a long time ago and I had one person that said that their husband tried it and it's it cured its sleep paralysis so oh. um, so that's one person you know but um, it didn't cure mine but it definitely makes it so that I don't have occurrences um, as often if I choose to do that and I also get much deeper sleep I can feel very I feel very re rested when I wake up you know so I recommend people, you know, that have sleep problems. I, I always talk to them about niacin and magnesium because those two really together, I think it can eliminate a lot of uh, issues with sleep. This is awesome. Definitely. I think uh, if anyone, like, thank you for sharing your experience. I, I'm sure everyone can benefit from different things, but at least your own experience and this one person you know certain feedback of can inspire someone out there, at least to have some directions if we want, they want to talk to their doctors about that, they could, right? If they want to try something, if it's over the counter, yeah, they can also consider that. And I definitely will put the link of your blog on the show notes to make sure people can go there to read more about it. And if people are interested in your books, I know you write a lot of great blog articles also. Uh, you also have a podcast. How people find all that great work you are doing in this area? Um, they can just go to, it's called Tail Eaters, like, um, you know, a dog's tail and eating it. So taileaters.com. And they can go there. There's lots of different articles. It's not just about sleep, but it's about, you know, may have guest posts in there too from other people that share content. But some of it's about spirituality and some of it's about alchemy. Some of it's about um, sleep. Some of it's about memory. Some of it's about 
uh, psychedelics even is in there. So you can kind of get a, I, I tried, I mean, I'm posting stuff that I'm interested in and I'm exploring myself. So I get a broad perspective of all that stuff and try to make sense of it all in some way. So people can go there and read those posts. And I have a lot of free guides, including like sleep paralysis guide, supplement guide and lucid dreaming guide. And those are all free. And most of the content, to be honest with you, in my book is on there, but it's just not in the same format. If you want, you know, someday somebody wants to get my book, they can pretty much get my whole entire website in a book format that's nicely edited and in a good format and story format. So they can get a better idea of um, how to help themselves. That's great. When your book going to be out formally? Um, it'll be out next May. So it's still got a bit with the okay. publisher, but I will uh, let you know once it gets to that point. Yeah, we're going to have to have you back to the show right before <laughs> your book is out, right? And update great, yeah. us anything. Like, we still have more to talk about, like the spirituality part and the, this healing process. I really love how you use uh, dreams, your own experience as a healing, as a power, as a transformation. That's so powerful, I think. Thanks. Yeah, I, I'll be honest with you. I didn't always do that, you know. I, Control was a big part of the lucid dreaming experience. A lot of people want to control their dreams. And and I try to remove that from being lucid. Lucid just means being aware. And a lot of times, the most healing aspect of being lucid in a dream is to have the choice of being in control, but you actually release the control over to the dream and say, what do you want to show me now? You know, like, I want to, what do you have to offer me that I need to know? So same goes to sleep paralysis, like we talked about. Yeah, awesome. This is really great, Lee. Thank you very much for sharing all this with us, with the audience. Welcome. Thanks for having me on. It was great. After listening to Lee's story, I actually realized myself had both experience of sleep paralysis and lucid dreaming, even though it's very rare, only happened several times in my whole life. But still, the memory is very vivid up to today. How about you? Have you ever had similar experience? If you want to read more about lucid dreaming, you can go to Lee's website, taileaters.com, to read more about the articles, his blogs. There are a lot of great information there, including some suggestions about how to deal with it if it bothers you. You can read more about Lee's information on our website at deepintosleep.co. If you want to share your stories with me, I'd love to hear that. Please feel free to email me or leave me a voicemail on our website. Thank you so much for listening. I'm so grateful to have you today with me. Again, this is Deep Into Sleep Podcast. I'm your host, Ishan, and I will see you next week. Sleep is an individual thing. We all sleep differently, and there is so much we can do to improve sleep quality. Keep hope and carry on. This podcast is for general informational purpose only and does not include the practice of medicine or other health professional services. Usage of the information we share is at the listener's own risk. And our content does not intend to be a substitute for any medical and professional services, diagnoses, and treatment. Please seek professional health services as needed. Are you suffering from insomnia? I promise you, 
The CBTI method in my course will definitely help you. Even if several nights of better sleep, that would be a world-changing experience for you. I have had so many success from my insomnia patients who have taken this course over the years. If you know someone who are struggling with sleep, go to my website and check out my course at deepintosleep.co forward slash insomnia.